0: And, Lord, you're continuing to work. And we pray, O oh God, that you will allow us to know the only reason that we don't grow is because we aren't the ones who are really participating in it. But, Lord, call us all to participate in the growth of this church. Call us all, O oh God, to desire to see this place overflowing. Calls us all, O oh Lord, to want to be your witnesses. For you have called us, you have saved us, you are sanctifying us, you are working in our lives, and Lord, may that be the hope that we are able to share with every man, woman, and child of the work that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we'll give you praise. As we sit at your feet this morning, Jesus, may you open your word to us. May we see the depth of your word. And may we, O God, acknowledge your word is truth. And may we, oh God, not only be hearers of it, but may we be participants of your word. May we not sit and say that was written for them of old. That was just written during New Testament time. It don't apply to me. But Lord, May we see it applying in our lives today. May we discover the richness of it and the fullness of it and the excitement of living in your word and allowing your word to live in us and to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the privilege that you give every one of us it's a privilege to serve you. It's a privilege to be called the servants of the Most High God. It is our privilege, O oh God, to sit at your feet and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to run on a little bit in this area of church and salvation. And we're going to continue with this area of learning. Of what did the disciples have to learn? What did the apostles have to learn? And one of the things that we need to recognize is this here learning to live life differently. When you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and you're called by Him, you're going to learn to live life differently. You can't live it the same. You can't be the same old person that you were a day before, a week before, or a month before. When you meet Jesus Christ, even though you have not accepted him, when you meet or you hear his word or you're introduced to him, something happens something changes. And the disciples, after he called the 12, you know, he didn't say, okay, I've called you, now go take a break. But the moment after the call, something takes place. They're thrown into ministry in a sense. They're thrown into ministry now to watch and to see how ministry takes place and how you have to deal with people. Paul says it, which the disciples are going to learn and the apostles are going to learn. I become all things to all people that I might what? Win some, that I might be able to communicate to some. There's always going to be a group who you cannot communicate to. There always going to be a group that will not listen to you or hear you. But boy, one thing about them and about us, we are the ones that have to be adaptable to our audience. Not so much our audience adapting to us, but we adapt to our audience that we might have a privilege to share with them and to minister to them. So we adapt that they might be blessed. And that we might be blessed in allowing God to use us. In allowing God to use us. So we take on the posture and we learn to adapt. Now, think of these 12 Jewish individuals. They're going to have to learn to adapt to a whole different world in which they were brought up. And these are adults now. And Jesus is saying to them, You're going to change. Your mind is going to change. Your attitude is going to change. How you perceive life is going to change. Because when you meet Jesus Christ, He says you are a new creature. And behold, the old things begin to do what? Pass away. And you're saying bye-bye to them. Why? Because everything's becoming what? New. Now, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the Book of Luke, verse chapter six through eight, for a while. And I call it the learning time for his apostles. Now, also recognize his apostles are also disciples. So oftentimes when you read in scripture about the disciples, understand this. Most likely the apostles are already included in the disciples. He just doesn't take in scripture, says the apostles, the disciples, and then the crowd. We're going to see that today. But that he brings it to that place where... The individual, these 12, are going to learn ministry different than what life has been afforded to them. And we need to recognize, for after the call of the 12, we see them learning about ministry. And Jesus is going to teach them about ministry. And oftentimes, with us, the moment we're saved, we're in ministry. We may not realize it, but the moment we are saved, we're telling somebody else. That's ministry. The moment we are saved, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us that we can show kindness. That's ministry. The Holy Spirit begins to work in us and change in changing our language. That when we talk to others, that's ministry because they're expecting something else to come out, but they hear something else. The whole process, when you're saved, when do you start ministering? And then uh, there's another. When does it stop? For once you start, when does it stop? It doesn't stop until you're called home. Even on your bed of affliction and while you're dying, and you may have a room full of people, that's a great time to talk about Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if that could be the last thing to roll off our lips? Jesus. And the moment you start and you look at the apostles and and many of people, Ministry did not stop for them until death. And for us, ministry doesn't stop with age. It stops with death. Because we can all do something. And many of you have heard me talk about Sister Hawks. Sister Hawks couldn't come to church much anymore because she couldn't get into a vehicle and she couldn't really sit down because her legs were almost locked And they had to be straight. Even when we went to her house to visit with her, and she sat, the knees wouldn't so much bend. They would be out straight. So she couldn't get into a car and bend the knees, couldn't hardly get on the bus, scat bus to bend the knees. But you know what she did all day long? She would be praying for us. And she would call each one of us by name. And sometimes she would show me her booklet, her tablet of prayer, and how she's praying for each person and so forth. And she would spend all day long praying in her apartment, and praying for our church. And I believe even today, this church is living on some of her prayers. Okay. Just because of age, we don't stop ministering. We don't stop until we're called home. Now, in Luke six, seventeen, nineteen, these two groups that we meet, but we could say three, because three are there. But go with me, if you would, please, from 17 to 19 in chapter 6 of Luke. He simply says, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd, his disciples, was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him. And to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured. And the apostles all tried to touch him. And the people all tried to touch him. Because power was coming from him. And healing them all. Now. Just up above it says he just called the twelve. They're coming down off the mountain and so forth. Some describe this just as a level spot within the mountain, not that he totally left the mountain, because this is parallel with Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. And he comes down, here's this crowd. Verse mentions his disciples. Now, in his disciples are who? The 12 apostles also. So here's the apostles Here are these other disciples that are learning from him. And here is a great crowd. But then he begins to describe a little bit about this crowd. He calls them a great number. And you have people from all over. Judea, Jerusalem, Tyre. Hey, no, Jesus. We're we're from Galilee. Jesus. Jesus. we don't know nothing about these folks from Judea. We don't know nothing about these folks from Tyre. We don't know nothing about these folks from over here. But all these folks had traveled to hear him. They are discovering something. They're just not going to minister to Jews. They're going to minister to many different people ethnic groups because there were many different groups that were in these towns and coming from these cities and these regions and these locations so even when you say Jerusalem boy you're in the Jewish religious center so you even got the religious folks coming out Tyre was known as a trading outlet a seaport art outlet and so forth you got them and the hideous things that would go along there and so forth. And he says, boy, you got all these different groups that they have to learn how to minister to, how to be kind to, how to show mercy to. You have all these different groups. And even with Matthew, he adds Galilee, the and beyond the Jordan region. So there's all these different people. And remember, their life before they became apostles or disciples of Jesus, their world was about like this. Now Jesus takes their world and make it like this. Have you discovered that when you walk with the Lord, how much bigger he makes your world? How many more people he put into your world? How many more people he causes you to meet? The places he takes you to? And people you never thought you would meet or be engaging, you are engaging? And here are the apostles. They have to learn this. So they're watching as Christ does ministry. And he doesn't reject anybody because they're not Jewish, he doesn't reject anybody. Because they don't live in Galilee, they don't reject anybody. Because they're across the tracks, they don't. He doesn't reject anybody because of their nationality or their ethnicity. He doesn't reject. And it says he healed all. And what they begin to recognize is something in this manner. You're going to heal all who will come. You're going to minister to all who comes. And I imagine they came with all kind of problems, all kind of situations, but he ministers to them. And they watched as he ministered, as he healed. But they also watched something else. How they went after Jesus. And the power that came forth from him in order to meet that need. Do you understand something? God has empowered you to meet needs if you're willing to do it. It's amazing. God has empowered each and every one of us to meet needs if we're just willing to do it. The other day we had a guy stop at our house. He knocked on the door and he had his shovel and he said, uh, Elaine answered the door first and uh, she came in the room, and she said, hey, there's a guy at the door who wants to shovel. Well, I've been out, and I've already blown the driveway and so forth from the little walk path, and uh, it did snow a little bit more. And he said, I'm hungry, but I'm willing to work for what I get, and and so forth. And uh, Elaine said, just give me something, give me something. Well, I had $5. So I went, she didn't got the $5, took it, we gave him a trap. And I said, if you just shovel off the porch, and shovel just that little walk right here. wouldn't take no more than five, it wouldn't even take five minutes really. And I gave him five dollars. He said, thank you. He said, now I'm willing to shovel the whole driveway. I said, no, you, you don't need to do that. Just the porch and there, you know, because see, you weren't going to get it for nothing. <laughs> You're going to do a little something. And he did it and I gave him the five dollars. He said, thank you. Thank you. We gave him the track, you know. The uh, thing is, God has equipped us to minister to people. The question is, do we want to? Oftentimes when we minister, we see ourselves losing. We see ourselves giving up something. We, we see ourselves giving something that belongs to us. No, it belongs to God, and God's using you to give it to somebody else. That's all. That's all that's taking place. Hey. Because you have all these people. Now imagine the disciples are saying, how are we going to do this? You know, the church is still learning that. The church is still learning to minister to people from all over. We're good as long as everybody looks like us, act like us. Well, what would this church be like if we had a Spanish assistant pastor? What would this church look like if we had a Hmong assistant pastor? What would this church look like if we had three or four different ethnic groups within it? How would that change us even? And let me share something with you. When God allows other cultures to come into your midst, it does change you. But understand this, it helps change them also. We challenge each other. We learn from each other. We sharpen each other. And the whole issue is, boy, the church is still learning how to deal with people of different backgrounds, different views, live differently. Do you understand this basic principle? If people sit under the word of God long enough they'll automatically begin to change if they're really saved because the spirit of God will not leave you where you came in at the spirit of God will begin to work one of two things is very true either the word of God will draw you closer to the Lord or the word of God will chase you away Going to do one or the other. Now, if they are not like us, we become what? Suspicious. Mistrusting sometimes. Uncertain. Why are they here? What are they after? They want to take over my church? They want to be this? They want to be it? No. It's not our church, anyhow, is it? It is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need to get that in our head. It's not our church. This is not Pastor Brown's church. This is not Pastor Travis's church. This is not the elder's church. And unbecoming to some of you, this is not possessively your church. You're a part of it. And praise God for that. But the owner is the Lord Jesus Christ. That who owns it. And life is opening. For the disciples now, the life begins to open up for them as they've never seen it before. When you really walk with the Lord, he begins to open your life up. You don't live any longer in this little narrowness of life. God begins to open up your mind, open up your heart. He begins to give you dreams that you never dreamed. He begins to give you vision that you never visioned. He begins to lift you up where you never thought you could be at. For the Lord setteth up and the Lord taketh down. The Lord promotes. The Lord gives. The Lord taketh. We need to understand that whole process. And for the apostles, guess what? They're getting ready to go into another world that they would have never expected. Do you think Peter and John would have ever expected to be sitting and debating with the Pharisees or the Sanhedrins? They were fishermen. Only thing they knew was their boat and their water and back home. They never thought over an act that they would be there in front of Pharisees and the Sanhedrins defending or speaking about Jesus Christ. They didn't see themselves as eloquent speakers. They didn't see themselves as scholarly men. But they have a message to share. They have a message to share. And their world opens up. And let me share something with you. If you are really walking with the Lord, your world opens up. And understand that, sometimes it will shock you. Because what the Lord allows you to face and see and deal with your heart will go because you're dealing with that individual that Christ died for that is so different than who and what you are. He opens our world up. The healing and people just wanting to touch him. And people, as you develop a good name, that's why scripture says a good name is more valuable than gold and silver. That people just want to talk to you. People want to be with you. When I used to work at Christ, it kind of surprised me how God would do this, but I would be working on something, and one of them guys that would all be off the wall and didn't want to hear anything about Christianity. They would find me while I'm working by myself. And they'll come over and they would ask. Or we would start talking about their children, about their marriage, about troubles that they were in or whatever. But they wanted to do it only one-on-one. But while they was over here, they had to act this way. But then God would bring them over here, and we'd be on this one-on-one thing for a little bit. And that's God in his ministry. And God using you. Never run away from people because two things are going to happen. Either you're going to teach them or they're going to teach you. That's all. You're going to teach them or they're going to teach you. And they are experiencing life differently. They never dreamed of life this way. They never dreamed themselves ministering to hundreds of people, thousands of people. They never saw themselves ministering to all these different factions of life. And now they're seeing it. They're beholding it. It's right there with them. And then it says something strange here. Look down with me in verse 26. No, in verse 20. He says, Looking at his disciples... Because I imagine when he looked at them, boy, he saw this strange look on their face. He may have saw them being startled. He might have been saying, boy, what are we going to do with all this? You know? And it's strange how people can feel what? Overwhelmed. That people can feel this is too much. That, that people can how am I going to fit into this? This is what I am. I'm not this. I'm not this Jesus. I don't have the drawing power. I don't have the speaking ability. I don't have the power that he has. How am I going to fit into this with all these people? And Jesus looked at him, And then he began to say something. And I think he says this very first thing to kind of like calm them down. Because, see, there were some rich folks there. There were some Pharisees there. Gamaliel may have been there, a very scholarly man. There have been different individuals in this crowd. But Jesus says something, and I think it's still true today, that oftentimes we don't understand it. He says, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor. Guess who most of the people were there in the crowd. Look at the territories in which they came from. They're poor people. Now, as much as sometimes we like to put it in our heads people are well off we can look at Pearl and Walter and we can say boy they got some money jingling hey. we can look at Brother Beecher and we can say boy there is a wealthy older individual we can look at Brother Amos and we can say man he ain't spending no money on nothing you know? and we can look around and we can say this one got this and this guy." let me share a little secret with you in this room we're all poor Now, praise God, we have enough that we can be what? Comfortable. I'm going to use my dad's word, poor, poor. We never understood when he would use the word poor, poor. (laughs) You know, we're eating every day. We're clothing ourselves every day. We have a place to stay every day. So in some manner of the average of the world, we are wealthy. But yet, on the other side of it, very few of us in this room make over $100,000 a year. And the whole process, what Jesus is saying, the main people you're going to minister to are going to be poor. 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 And that whole process. Go, go with me if you would, Matthew 11, Matthew chapter 11, and go to verse five. I think it is Matthew 11, verse five. Listen to what he says, because. John's disciples go to see him in prison, and John asks them, you know, what's going on out there, and so forth. And they, John sends his disciples back to ask Jesus, Are you the one? And Jesus sends him back with a message. But listen to what Jesus really says in that verse 5. He says, Let me get my eyes. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And the good news is preached to who? To the poor. The good news is preached to the poor. Understanding, if you study history for any length, you would understand rich people always had a private tutor for their children. And usually in most cases, those private tutors were religious individuals. And they could teach Latin, they could teach German, they could teach Greek, and they taught their children. And that's how they lived, comfortably. But they were able to teach from their knowledge. But the average poor person couldn't afford it. That's why Sunday school was started in England. For that the poor children and the poor people could hear the gospel and be taught. Before then, you didn't have Sunday school, but it started in England, basically for the poor miners, and the poor group of people could be taught the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we all need to realize that, boy, yeah, that's going to take place. He says in Matthew, he, he, he uses the word hunger also the next thing takes place. Hunger, Matthew uses the word. But he puts the word righteousness with it, where Luke leaves the word righteousness out. Matthew uses the word righteous. They lived in a world of unrighteousness. And what the Lord said, those who will hunger for righteousness, those who will hunger for that which is right and just and pure, He said, boy, they will be satisfied at some point. They will be satisfied. And he just moves on down through. He says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil. Because of the Son of Man. He said, these things are going to happen to you. He somewhat paints a future for them. Because you're my followers, don't mean everybody's going to rejoice over you. But because of my name, if you really live up to my teaching, and if you really follow my commands, and you really do what I asked you to do, you're going to be hated by the world. We're somewhat seeing that coming to pass even here in America. Because I'm beginning to read more and more books that put this little philosophy in here. If we can do away with Christianity as a group of people, we can get along fine in America. We're beginning to see that little statement more and more in secular writings. We're beginning to hear it more and more in our universities because the whole thing in one sense, Christianity teaches hate crime. Hate crime how? We're against lesbians. We're against homosexualities. We're against unwed mothers. We're against the whole process of not being married. We're against this. That Christianity is so much against something rather than what? For it. But what we don't have time to explain, oftentimes, is this, the right way to live and why we truly believe this is the right way. So therefore, we're beginning to look like a group of people who hate everybody who is not like us. We may not like their lifestyle, but we love who? The individual. And that's something that has to come out very clear for us. That we can wrap our arms around a lesbian, around a gay person, around this person or that person. And show them that we love them. We just don't agree with their lifestyle. That's the thing that the church has to really allow to be seen. And we don't get caught up into our Pharisee type of life where we're so righteous. And remember this little verse. The letter of the law will always what? Kill. But the Spirit does what? Gives life. Because the Spirit always wants to teach. The letter of the law doesn't teach. It just says do. And a lot of people can't do because they haven't been what? Taught. I never expected my children to do what they had not been taught. Taught. Now, once I teach you, that's a whole different thing. (laughs) But the process is we have an obligation as being the light of the world to be teachers. To be teachers. To be teachers. Not so much condemners, 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 but teachers. He says, they're going to hate you. They're going to call you evil when you're doing good. And your good is going to be spoken evil of because of my name. But he tells us then, and this is for remember, he looked right at his disciples. He looked right at them. And then he starts into this. And they're hearing it. And there's, I best if, if I was there, I, I think I would have said, He's living in a different world. He's living totally different than what we've been taught. Isn't he a Jew too? But he's speaking something totally different. He's teaching something totally different to them. And he's asking them to hear it and to receive it in this crowd also. And he goes, and he says, now, rejoice. Boy, when these things happen, rejoice. Okay? Now, guess what? We are so accustomed. Uh, in some ways, I don't like this. When a child does what is right, we want to reward them. I don't want to reward you for doing right. I want to reward you for going beyond that process. Because what you're doing is right. is what you need to learn to do without being rewarded. Because it's the right thing to do. That you learn just to do what is right because it's the right thing to do. Now if you go beyond that, now I want to reward you. Because you went beyond more than what you had to do. You put something a little extra out there with it. Hey? You did something a little bit more meaningful with it. Hey? But just doing what is right, I don't need to reward you. Because what I'm teaching you is this. If you do wrong, I give you a time out, but if you do right, I, I give you something. I don't want you to get in a habit of, Of receiving just because you do what is right. And you have to know each person. And you deal with them from that. But he says rejoice. Why? You have a reward in heaven. And many of us want our reward when? Right now. And everything in life does not reward you right now. Sometimes rewards don't come until years after. And sometimes it takes time to really build up that reward of you living righteously. And you'll hear people say, well, I do this and I do that. And I've done that so long. I tried that. But the issue is not that you only tried it for two months, three months, or a year. This is how you live. This is what is right to do. And eventually that righteous living pays off. But we want it right now. We want the blessing right now. No. It's coming. And he says to them, Rejoice, for you have a reward we're at. See? There's two individuals that's always telling me, I want a little bit of it right now. See? I said, No, you don't. You got a treasure in heaven. <laughs> but we want a little bit of it right now. And we all want that in a sense. We want a little bit of it right now. But he says, rejoice. And he says, remember this how the prophets were treated. Hey. Your fathers mistreated the true prophets. And I put some down there. You can go down and you can really see. But tour with me to G- Jeremiah. Is this the one I want to get to? No, I'll get it later. Jeremiah. But he says, now he begins the woes. Now, some people call these also, especially in Matthew, the Beatitudes. They call them the New Testament Ten Commandments. Some have named Luke here in this little short area uh, the blessing and cursings of Deuteronomy 28 because he gives the blessing, then he gives the woes. He gives these three woes. He says, Rich. Why? You're independent. You don't need me. Remember the rich young ruler? He said to him, go and give away all your wealth and do what? Give it to the poor and come follow me. Can't do that. Can't do that. And then later on in that verse you hear Jesus say, boy, it's hard for a rich person to do what? Enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're so dependent upon their wealth. They're so secure in their wealth. and he says their wealth has made them comfortable and they find their security. Then he does this little area that's a reversal in life. He says, boy, those who ate well and were fed well and didn't hunger, there's gonna come a day you're gonna what? You're gonna hunger. Those who were able to laugh because of their wealth and they're all secure and everything, He said, there's going to come a day you're going to weep. And he just reverses life. For those who were hungry, they're going to be fed. For those who were weeping, they're going to laugh. Sometimes I share this with younger people. Very simple about life. You can learn and save and deny yourself now while you're young. And then enjoy life as you get older because you have put away something to enjoy life with, or while you're young, you're spending everything now and not saving anything, and you're going to suffer over here because you were not willing to sacrifice back there. Almost the same principle. He says, boy, those who are fed well now are one day going to hunger. Those who are laughing will one day weep. And those of you who are weeping now and who are hungry, you will laugh and you will be satisfied. You will be fed. And then he goes on to the other one. When all men speak well of you, and you need to be cautious of that. It's okay to have a good name. But when everybody speaks well of you, now I'm not saying they're not talking about you. Sometimes it's good for Pastor Brown to be called that old dirty dog. But it all depends on whose mouth it's coming out of. Hey, hey. You need to understand the company that you keep. He says, when all men speak well of you. Jezebel spoke well of her prophets. Those what? False Prophets. Jezebel spoke well of them. Turn with me to Jeremiah 5. And this is where you really have to be careful. Because the thing is, when you please people too much, you're not pleasing God. And you really have to be careful in this area. Because who you want to please above anyone else is the Lord. And it's all so that you come to a place that you recognize your desire is please God. Now, godly people are going to recognize your life. And they're going to just praise God for your life. They're going to praise God for your stand. They're going to praise God for your position. They're going to praise God for your wisdom and your knowledge. Then there's going to be those also then who will speak maybe as the scripture said earlier speak evil of you and your name is evil it says in 31 in jeremiah he said the prophets prophesy what lies the priests ruled by their own authority now listen to this and my people loved it why do you think the people loved it it was in agreement with their lifestyle it was in agreement with what they were doing. It was in agreement that it was okay to worship idols and bring different things. It was okay to live an immoral life. It was okay to use profanity. It was okay to live outside of the commandments of God. And he said, Boy, the people just loved them. And guess what? The people even praised them. What a good sermon you gave, but there was nothing scriptural in it. Nothing concrete in it. Nothing about the Bible in it. But boy, we had a great service because we were well entertained. Great. But did I learn anything of God? Was I challenged spiritually? Was there any depth added to my life about the person of Jesus Christ? was I challenged morally and he says beware of the people who you're with and how they praise you sometime boy is more noteworthy to be spoken of in a very derogatory and negative way than it is in a very positive and uplifting way based on who you are pleasing Jesus is from a different world because boy, when you start with 27 through 36, Jesus is saying, forgive your enemy. What is he saying? Forgive your enemy. Them dogs, I need to forgive them. Them Gentiles, remember the Jews saw Gentiles like dogs. People unworthy. People of a lower class and he says forgive your enemies he wants me to forgive those Romans now I want you to follow me because Melvin brought it up the Maccabee revolt I want you to understand if you really take it from history Barabbas is following the rebellion (laughs) of the Maccabeans And it just goes down through the history of the Jewish rebellions. That's why nobody really saw themselves blessed to be governed over Jerusalem because there was always these little wars and rebellions that were going on because of their God and how they worshipped. And he says, if you're going to minister to all these different groups and all these different people, and these people from all these different areas, as Jews, you have to be ready to forgive. You've got to forgive them. Let's read it real quick. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. Oh, this man is of a different world, isn't he? He never had his cheek slapped. He never had his enemy spike him. And he says, forgive. If someone takes your coke, do not stop him from taking your turning. Give to everyone who asks you, And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. What is that man talking about? You let somebody take something from me. As they said, it would only be the Jesus in me that would allow him. This man's from a different world, isn't he? This man don't live in my world. And some of us just say it all right. Jesus don't live in this neighborhood and the whole process is that he's saying, boy, these are the folks you're going to witness to. These are the people you're going to deal with. Now, just stay with me for a moment. He said, do to others as you would have them what? Oh, what is he doing? He's making them first think of what? Of themselves and how they would want to be what? Treated. If I were in that person's shoes, how would I want to be spoken to? If I was in that person's situation, how would I want to be treated? If I had that person's education, if I had that person's finances, if I had that person's background, how would I want to be understood? If I come from a total broken, dysfunctional home, Don't expect me to function like someone who was raised in a godly home with godly parents who were taught values and principles and standards and were living them out. Some people only know how to survive. They don't know how to live any other way. Some people don't know how to live but in deception. Some people don't know how to live in truth. Because they never saw truth in their home. Everything in their home was a lie. All they heard was lying and scheming and deception going on. They don't know what truth is. They don't know how to live any other way. And the sad part about that, it's awful hard and difficult for them to trust God. Because everything in life says you do not trust The only thing you trust is self. The only thing you depend upon is self. You go nowhere outside of self. If it's not provided by self, if it's not understood by self, if it's not taught by self, you throw it all away. And you do the best you can do in survival. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is it? If you only love people that love you, what have you learned? What has changed in you? And if you do good to those who are good to you, And you don't do good to to people who are not good to you. What have you really learned? Even sinners do that. And what he's saying is, you're no better than the sinner because you're just living like who? The sinner. And he said, I saved you to walk on a higher plane. I saved you to do so much more. I saved you to be a teacher of them. I saved you to show them what life can be like when you walk with Jesus. Hey. He says, you do no different than the sinner expecting to repay in full, but love your enemies and do good to them. Yeah, he's from a different world, isn't he? He don't know your friends, do he? Hey. Hey. He don't have to live with the people you live. He don't live... By the neighbors you live by, do Yes, he does. He's right there. He's right there. Now go a little further because he's going to make something so perfectly clear. And then I'm going to close out here with this point. He's going to make this so clear. The issue is this. I want you to be like your heavenly father. Remember what scripture says, be holy as God is holy? And Jesus is saying to them in this, I want you to be like your heavenly father. Hey, come on down with me, he says. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. He didn't say, boy, it won't come back. But he said, lend without what? You're not running up, knocking on their door. Remember, you owe me. Remember this, remember that. Remember her. No. If it comes back, praise God. And he simply says, expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You're going to be what? It's the evidence of who you are by how you live. And he goes on he says, because he is... Kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Who? God? Was I once unkind? Was I once wicked? And yet God showed mercy to me and grace to me. He did that for me. And He did it through a Cecil Inman, He did it through a Peg and Dick Krosky. He did it through a dick. He did it through a Pastor Paul Valentine. He did it through different individuals who were kind to me. When my car broke down, I didn't have a car because it broke down on the way coming from Georgia in Mount Era. and we didn't have a car. And about ten people at Stowe went together and told us to go down and pick out a car a Bert Greenwell, and we went down, picked it out, they sent them the bill, and they paid for the whole thing that my family could go back to Georgia in a car. He was merciful. He was kind. He was gracious to us. And he says, boy, you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful. And the wicked. He's not sitting back there saying. They don't deserve it. Show me one of us in here that deserve it. He's not sitting there saying. They don't deserve this. They're not worthy of this. He just does it. Now, now understand this. He does it out of love. Not because we deserve it. Not because we're worthy of it. The life I have lived is not because Gus Brown and Elaine is worthy of it at all. We're unworthy of it. But we have been blessed tremendously over and over and over again. We've just been blessed. And God has kept us through the storms, through the tough times in life, through the potholes in life, and all my mistakes. God has kept us and blessed us Administered to us, and many of you, the same thing. You not, you are not who you are just because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You are what you are because of what God has done in your life. And He says there, be kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful. Now, catch this closing part just as your Father is merciful. He's bringing his apostles and his disciples to see them, and he wants them to see this. It should be the same thing in us, because he's given us an example here. Jesus didn't say, be like me. Jesus didn't say, do what I'm doing. He didn't let it stop where at? At himself but he pointed on to who? His father. Do this because this is what our father is like. This is what our father does. You do it. You don't do it to be spoken well of. You don't do it for selfish gain. You don't do it to show off. You don't do it to get praises of men. You do it because that's what your Father is like. And your Father has already provided for you that you can do it. Amen? It's a different world if you're really saved. It's different expectations of you if you're really saved. And I bet the the apostles and the disciples were saying, he don't expect us to live that way, do he? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Too many Christians think that God does not expect you to live by the way in which he describes a Christian to live in his word. And there's no excuse for you not to, or for me not to, because of the power of the Holy Spirit he's given that we can be overcomers of the things of this world that are against the life that Jesus had prescribed for us. There's no excuse. No excuse that we are not becoming more and more like our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, We just thank you and praise you, Lord, for ministering to us and allowing us, Lord, to have a little window into how you were teaching your disciples. And and yet, Lord, you're teaching us too. Ministry is not easy. And I'm not just talking about the pastoral role. Ministry is what we've all been called into. And if we're really involved in ministry... Whether it be in Saferstein Towers, whether it be in apartments where we live, whether it be in our neighborhood where we live, or whether it be on the job that we're working at. And Lord, if we're doing ministry, we're going to have those who will speak well of us, and we'll have those who will speak evil of us. But I'm like Paul, long the name of Jesus is going forth. And Father, help us to realize. Our reward is not here on earth. And everything we've gathered, oh Lord, we're going to leave it. But help us, oh God, to be willing to leave it in manner in which it helps your kingdom to go forward. And Father, help us, oh God, to understand that you have blessed us that we might be a blessing to others. Help us, Lord, to be able to see that And that, Lord, the multitude of people that you bring into our lives, it doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what ethnic background they are. What matters, Lord, is that you brought them into our lives to learn something else about Jesus or to teach us something